Thank you. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, I want to thank Marcus, Phil, and Liz. Uh, so, the Institute for Economics and Peace, uh, we try and measure these things, uh, which we have been doing for eight years now. So the, the idea behind the Institute is we're trying to strip peace of its utopian connotations, make it more measurable and therefore more actionable. So we want to understand uh, the key drivers uh, and we also want to look at the economic benefits that increased peacefulness can deliver. And this is it's for policymakers to make a very obvious uh, cost-benefit, if you will, that more focus should be on uh, prevention rather than dealing with the effects of violence. So we have offices. We're based in Sydney. Uh, we also have offices in New York, Mexico City, and a recently opened office in The Hague. So why do we measure peace? Well, the first thing is the drivers of peace are poorly understood. So we don't actually have much sense of what do we need to do in order to make countries more peaceful. And this is in part because peace is multidimensional. It has many aspects. It is not a linear uh, trajectory. Uh, and I am going to be far less eloquent than Nick Cave. Uh, but I am Australian, so that counts for something, I hope. But then also, it's a monitoring tool. So if we measure these things, we can see what is happening over time. And this is in part because uh, we often rely on anecdotes. But if we have a, uh, a rigorous methodology, this is what we're doing over time, we can see whether the piece is going up or down. And then it's also a good data advocacy tool. So one of the issues uh, about the world, and this is what the Millennium Development Goals showed as well, is that we care about data, except we don't have the data which is really relevant. In a lot of conflict-affected countries, there was just no data to determine whether they had achieved their Millennium Development Goals or not. So we try and do this. We try and measure to show, well, this is the data that we need, and this is what the data would be able to show us. So we do this uh, in two main ways. Uh, we, we have two uh, reports that are annual reports that look at uh, negative and positive peace. So the negative peace report that we do, which will be released uh, or launched here on uh, the 7th of June. Again, if you're free, you should come. <laughs> so the, we're looking at uh, negative peace, looking at the absence of direct violence and also fear of violence. And this is a composite index. It uses 23 different indicators. It ranges from levels of homicide, uh, fear, but then also looking at military expenditure and involvement in conflicts. But then uh, the other thing that we do is uh, positive peace. And we think that this is perhaps the more important part. Uh, we're trying to measure positive peace, which we define as the attitudes, institutions, and structures that bring about peaceful societies. And we do this, we measure positive peace around the world. And so we have, uh, we've developed a, a framework using statistical analysis that's to see what actually corresponds to a peace or to uh, levels of violence. What are the structures and attitudes and institutions that societies have that enable them to be more peaceful? Uh, and using uh, 9,000 different indicators, ranging from uh, attitudinal surveys, uh, government statistics, uh, but then also uh, some perceptions and uh, just raw numbers, uh, we've developed eight different pillars, if you will, of 
what is important for positive peace. And they're, they're rather intuitive. Uh, the the well-functioning government, that's, this is including things such as participation, it's looking at rule of law, uh, even the efficiency of the tax system. Uh, then we're looking at, say, sound business environment, and this is looking at the ease of doing business and economic freedom. We're looking at corruption, uh, which is factionalised elites, looking at the levels of corruption in society, and looking at what checks and balances there are to prevent corruption. Uh, and we actually have a, a standalone report looking at the relationship between corruption and peacefulness. High levels of human capital. This is looking at years of schooling and youth development. Uh, free flow of information. This is the freedom of the press and the ease in which a, a society can get access to information. Uh, good relations with neighbours. This is looking at things such as hostility to foreigners and regional integration. Uh, then uh, equitable distribution of resources is social mobility, uh, looking at the poverty gap in society. And then acceptance of the rights of others. This is looking at group grievances and uh, how, they, uh, uh, how a society responds to uh, the tensions between different groups. And we've found that this framework actually produces other positive outcomes. So uh, countries that have higher levels of positive peace, they have higher GDP. They have, well, so higher GDP growth, sorry. Uh, they have lower inflation, they're more ecologically sound. Uh, and then there's also uh, many other factors which lead to uh, some positive development outcomes. So as I was saying, the positive piece, uh, look, it also has an impact on GDP growth. So we found that countries that improved in positive peace since 1996, they had larger GDP growth per capita than other countries that didn't uh, improve in positive peace. And this is independent of any other factor. So there's also positive outcomes of focusing on positive peace. And then also, this is uh, looking at the prevalence and nature of resistance campaigns. Countries with higher levels of positive peace were more able to deal with conflicts or resistance campaigns in a non-violent manner. And this is a, it's a very important thing because conflict is an inevitable part of society. It's not that conflict per se is uh, a terrible thing. It's that violent conflict. If there is no other ways to resolve a conflict, if you have to resort to violence because there are no avenues in society, there is not well-functioning government, there is high levels of corruption, this means uh, that you're more likely to resolve the conflicts using violence. And this is what the, uh, the evidence shows us. Then also, uh, quite interestingly, in terms of resilience, countries with higher level of positive peace, they don't necessarily have fewer incidences of natural disasters, but they have much fewer deaths. So we see that uh, countries on the... So on the right uh, is fatalities from natural disasters. Countries with very high and high levels of positive peace have much fewer disasters, even though... Sorry, much fewer fatalities, even though, uh, proportionally, the, the levels of natural disasters are not uh, in relationship with the number of fatalities. It shows that countries with more high levels of positive peace are also much more resilient. They're able to respond and bounce back uh, and deal with natural disasters as well. So there's, there's some characteristics of positive peace. Uh, it's, the first thing is it's, it's systematic and complex. It's a system. They relate to each other. 
It's not just a linear approach. It's not that you just need to focus on one of the pillars. You need all of the pillars in order to uh, work together to bring about positive peace. It's preventative, there's, uh, there's resilience, and there's, uh, if you focus on positive peace, you're able to withstand a lot of shocks more. It's informal and formal, and this is rather significant. It is not just the formal state institutions that uh, you need to focus on in order to have positive peace. It's also civil society. Uh, it's also uh, people's day-to-day -day interactions. It's also their attitudes. It's, uh, it's something which is much more than just looking at formal state institutions. It also underpins resilience and nonviolence. And so we have positive peace. Countries with high levels of positive peace are more resilient and they're able to respond to things nonviolently. There's also this concept of the virtuous or vicious cycle. And this is uh, if you have a deterioration in one of the, the pillars of positive peace, you're more likely to see a deterioration in other pillars over time. And then it's, it's a vicious cycle where you become less and less uh, positive peace, or you have less and less positive peace. On the flip side, there's also a virtuous cycle. If you have improvement across the pillars, you, you'll see that they, you lift up the other pillars. And so there's a, if you focus on positive peace, you can gain much more than just uh, looking at one of the pillars. It also connects with each other. It's a system, which is what the diagram, which is far too small to read, is trying to show. And in terms of uh, the SDGs, uh, we mapped of the, uh, the different SDG targets. We mapped what of uh, the positive peace factors are actually covered by the SDGs. And we can see that they're, they're quite widely covered, with the exception being low levels of corruption. There was only three uh, relevant SDG targets which relate to corruption. So perhaps this is something that we need to focus on. But it's showing us that uh, one of the things that we're, we're very excited about as an institute uh, is we have, for eight years, we've been trying to say uh, you can measure peace. It is something which you can measure. It's not a utopian thing. There are things that you can do that makes peace go up and down. And we've been doing the Global Peace Index now for a decade, and something that we're very excited about is that the international community has recognised that you can measure peace. SDG 16, looking at peace, justice and strong institutions, is a recognition that you can measure peace and it is fundamental to focus on peace in order to uh, ensure that uh, the development goals uh, are maintained, but then also it's a prerequisite for many development goals. And so we're getting more and more involved in uh, SDGs and also the Sustaining Peace Agenda, which uh, we think uh, is very, uh, very much aligned with our view of positive peace. And I guess uh, I will conclude in saying uh, that we think that measuring these things are very important things to do. Uh, it's, it's obviously not perfect and we, we have to use what is available uh, and we hope and we're pushing for a lot of the data uh, that is not currently available to be available, uh, for there to be investments in actually measuring these things. Uh, but we also recognise that you need to start somewhere. And this is what we're trying to do as an institute. And you can find uh, more information from our website. We have all our reports online because we also think that this is a, a conversation that the entire world needs to be having.
Uh, we need to be prioritizing positive peace. Uh, it's something which is very important in order to bring about the world that we all want. Thank you.